guardian.co.uk. This podcast is produced in association with Guinness, official beer of the RBS Six Nations. Welcome to our Guardian Six Nations podcast after a second weekend of sometimes enthralling, always intriguing rugby. 2011 is seeing some fine, challenging games of hard fought, but often open rugby. I'm Eddie Butler. So, now we know that only two nations can hope for the Grand Slam, England and France, and they meet next in round three at Twickenham. A rejuvenated Ireland, though, could still win the Triple Crown. They face England at home on the final weekend, but would also have to beat a much-improved Wales in the hostile territory of the Millennium Stadium and Scotland at Murrayfield. Our studio guests this week are the Guardian's sports desk gurus, Andy Bull and Claire Tolley. And we'll be calling in the expertise of two fine fullbacks. The man who captained both Scotland and the Lions, Gavin Hastings, and the injured Irish international, Leicester's Jordan Murphy. Jordan is on the line right now. Jordan, first of all, how's the body? Um, yeah, the body's not too bad. I'm improving slowly. Just on actually my way to some treatment now in a hyperbaric chamber, trying to uh, speed up recovery time. But I, um, yeah, no, it's good. I'm, I'm still on crutches and I will be for another three weeks. But uh, hopefully then I can start uh, putting a bit of weight through it. So they've taken a, uh, the knife to your foot? They haven't yet. Yeah, I had a bit, uh, an operation about three weeks ago where I had some wires and a plate and a couple of screws put in just to, uh, to keep the bone in place. I hope there are no magnets in that chamber. You'll be clamped no, no. to the side of the chamber, upside down. So, uh, Jordan, Ireland, after you know the near horror show of Rome, it was a whole lot better, wasn't it, against against France? Yeah, I thought Ireland were you know much improved. Um, you know, I know that was always going to be the case. And um, sometimes, you know, a, a performance like the, the opening game against uh, Italy is the wake-up call that we needed. And I uh, certainly. Um, you know, when we, when we go into a game as underdogs, it really does suit us. And, and you know, I thought the guys performed really well um, for huge proportions of the game. Um, it was a little bit disappointing that we gave away a couple of penalties, which cost us dearly at the end of the game. But, but you know, even at that, we, we could have uh, we could have stolen the game. So um, definitely, you know, so a, a great improvement and some things that we can work on for the rest of the championship. Because it wasn't just the performance of the underdogs, was it? You know, full of sort of pep. No, not really. I, I think you know we didn't really play for. A, uh, a whole lot of uh, rugby for the, you know for for a long periods in in Rome and sort of we only really played for for a, you know when we went behind and we kind of tried to just eke and eke ourselves in front and, and hang on whereas you know against France we knew that wasn't going to be possible and, and we went out and and really played some some good rugby and you know I think the standard of the game showed that, um, you know that Ireland really competed and, and and played some good football. Just just two things. Um, Tomas O'Leary had to pass a fitness test. You know he the fitness test took place as the everybody else was warming up for the match and uh, he didn't seem to be right he looked very stiff and awkward and yet there was almost an insistence that he that he had to play was was that wise I think he, he you know he's a, he's a key player for all he's played very well for us in the last couple of seasons and he, and he really gives us that physical you know option he's really like an extra back row player especially against the, you know a side like France defense was going to be key and uh, you know I think the Irish management will be quite happy that we managed to uh, restrict them to scoring one try and um, you know it was it was frustrating that that they did score was, was obviously very costly, but you know, you know, to go and score three tries against France and concede only one is, you know, is not a bad day at the office. And there was very nearly a fourth one. Now that's my, my second little detail. Would you have, um, would you have used mm-hmm. Sean Cronin for that last little burst, or would you have said, oh, it's got to go wide here? 
it's a very, very difficult, you know, one to say. I, I think Sean ran a good line, but he probably cut the, uh, I think it was Brian off um, a little bit. You know, he didn't really give him a, 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 an option. And did you so, think I mean, they were the, the other team, France, were they, you know, they started so well against Scotland in patches and they played well against Ireland in patches. Where are France? Yeah, I mean, they played badly and won, didn't they? Which is the thing you say all good teams do. And um, in its own way, that's a kind of consistency. Although their performances have been flawed, they're still winning. So I think actually you could be a bit too harsh on them if you're not careful. Yeah, Claire, I, I suspect there's a sense of guilt still hanging over France over what happened against Australia. And they're, they're, they've gone back to sort of humble beginnings. I'm not entirely so sure about that. I certainly thought during the Scotland game that I don't think you could describe Tron Duke's pass through his legs as uh, humble in any way. No. I think the thing I thought about France on the weekend was that they offered, to me, they showed the options for England are there if England want to beat them. You know, the, the fact that around the fringes they were very vulnerable. And I thought Ireland actually did their homework very, very well um, on, on France. And it just when it came to it, I thought France were very lucky. Uh, Jordan, having having seen France at such close quarters, that the next one is England France. How, how do you see that one? Um, I think it's going to be a very close game. You know, I, I think you're really right, um, Francois, at your peril, in saying that. You know, if, if the same French side turns up as the one that turned up in Dublin, um, I, I fully see England winning that game. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think it's a, it's going to be a great game, but I, I do think England will edge it. Um, you know, in saying that, yeah. Uh, the French have, you know, tremendous ability, and it really depends on, on what team they pick and, and, and a, 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 what sort of style of play they play. So um, I'm looking forward to it in a couple of weeks. And England? Yeah, I've been really impressed by England so far. Um, you know, I, I think they they really are a, a a side that's brimming with confidence, and and you know that's obviously great. And in international rugby, when when you've got that confidence, you know things just seem to go your way. And and um, you know they've got strength, you know, in depth, and you know more guys injured returning to, to the. You know, in the next couple of weeks as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's really on for uh, you know, it's really England's grand slam to lose. But I'm really looking forward to that last game in Dublin because I, I, I think uh, yeah, that could be a, a potential tripping uh, yeah, stone for them. Uh, and what about Ireland? You have to take what is now the great step into the unknown because nobody knows what Scotland are going to do. Yeah, you know, huge. You know, really difficult game for us in, in that. You know, I'm sure Scotland will be disappointed having you know gone into the game against Wales as favourites, and uh, you know, I don't think they performed as well as they did in you know their previous games. So Scotland have traditionally done well against Ireland. You know, we've really struggled up there. Um, it's a tough place for us to go and play. And, and you know, I think that's going to be a, a close game. Um, I think as well, you know, follow, couple that with Ireland have to go away to Wales as well, who, who are playing good rugby. And, you know, it's going to be a tough season for us. Um, you know, it, we have, you know, definitely improved last week. But, um, you know, now we have to sort of back that up and go on the road and they, um, and try and do it twice more. Jordan, get well soon. Thanks very much for joining us on the Guardian Podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. Cheers. Now, the other match I went to this weekend was at Twickenham. I have to say, poor old Italy. After such a fine performance against Ireland, they were, well, they were firmly smashed by England. Even those brave-hearted stalwarts, Parisi and Castro Giovanni, were getting pretty distressed by the end. Uh, Claire, put it in context. England brilliant, Italy woeful. 
I did think Italy were woeful. I thought that uh, they looked really, really heavy-legged, actually. But I thought all of the three teams who played well um, the previous weekend, Italy, uh, France and Scotland, up front, they all looked very lethargic, certainly um, sort of um, at the start of the games. It's very difficult to see what positives Italy can take out of that. I mean, their line-out was completely taken apart. And so basically the whole way in which they would have wanted to play the game was taken away from them. England played at pace, and I imagine that that will be exactly what Wales will try to do to them as well in Rome. So I felt did feel quite sorry for them, though, particularly when uh, I was thinking, please, please stop arguing with uh, Craig Joubert because it's not going to get you anywhere. But a bit of a theme of the weekend, actually. I mean, Brian O'Driscoll mm. spent a lot of time running in from 20 yards to have his yeah, two penalties. Yeah, interesting, that, wasn't it? I mean, you wonder how well he handled that referee. You'd think a guy with his experience... Should be keeping his head a bit more than that, really, because you're obviously just alienating it. It was an awkward match for Ireland, that wasn't it, in that sense. As for Italy, I think that was a really interesting thing about this weekend. You're right, the way that the form from the first round of matches almost got turned on its head. England are the only team who have turned up for two games in a row now, really. And that just made it such a fascinating weekend this time, because your expectations were contradicted, really. The computer has, has given England that chance, haven't they? To have three home games on the bounce when you've had such a positive start. Yeah. You can lay plans, but and I think teams do have to think differently on the road. Mm. With Italy, you wonder if it was they invested so much in that first game, really thought that was their chance, and then almost spent themselves because they didn't achieve it. You know, it's like they're so deflated by that defeat to Ireland. England, though, Claire, you got, it was very, it was sparkling. It was sparkling. Never used those two words together. England (laughs) sparkling before. It's a first on the Guardian podcast. (laughs) Actually, I've got really excited about watching England for the first time in many years. And I think I remember watching New Zealand for over, well, probably the past seven, eight years or so, and just being amazed by the support lines that they would always run and think, well, why can't England do this? And the way that Toby, they're using Toby Flood. I think to bring in the wings and almost to sort of, you know, not use the centres as much, I think is it's kind of a reinventing the way that England play through the back line. And I think it's really quite exciting. Well, I think it is because actually you can see a time, right, they'll start marking Toby Flood, which could open the way for mm. Ben Youngs to suddenly do exactly. what he it's does. About options, but it isn't is that the England look a very complete package. A fairly pedestrian pair of centres, perhaps, if we were being really harsh. They don't pass it to them. They they miss them out the whole time. It's very wise, you know. (laughs) But, I mean, they are solid in defence, though. Yeah. That is amazing. That England's defence has been so, so good in both of the past two games, I think. That's with the England-France game. Looking ahead to that again, France, what is that now? Six tries conceded in two games. So that's going to be the sort of soft centre for them, isn't it? That could tip the match, really. Yeah. Six tries in two games. That was an extraordinary rate of scoring. Chris Ashton, is it? Uh, he says he doesn't know what he's doing, but I, I think he does know what he's doing. These, the angles he runs to get in support, it's very finely worked out. Definitely. I, I remember watching him um, playing in uh, Division 1 for Northampton. Um, it's just before they came back up, and he must have run about 20 lines that day that were completely wrong. And I think it obviously has taken him three years or whatever it is to reach the stage where he's running the right lines in this game but you see the fruit of it is just incredible really just cut out the bloody celebrations ah I was going to say are you pro celebration or anti no I'm, I'm not I'm a curmudgeon when it comes to the celebration I don't mind the dive I think it's this number one going mm. up I think it's a bit you... Usain Bolt-esque isn't it well, yeah, it's yeah, it's anything from the American Olympic team, and you know that, that when they start performing, it, it makes me want to sit firmly in my seat for the for the anthem and all that. But uh, 
I just think I, I, there's this sort of disrespect thing. I could just, if you're playing against it, all you want to do, you run, want to run, run after him and reintroduce eye gouging as a legal <laughs> weapon. Isn't that why he does it, though? It's to rile the opposition. I suspect it is. I, yeah. I quite like the whole, though, the fact that he's different, the fact that there's this, like, joie de vivre about him that I don't think English rugby has had. No, OK. Well, well if, you, <laughs> if you are scoring six tries in two games, you can presumably do whatever you want. Uh, talking of countries not scoring any tries anywhere at the moment, apart from, well, three in Paris to begin with, uh, but people who are perhaps shouting at the ceiling at the moment, Gavin Hastings. Hello, Gav. Eddie, good afternoon. Look, I, I've, I, know, I know you don't want to do this, but you're going to have to talk about Scotland. What went wrong? Well, it was just, it was awful, the whole thing, um, right from the start. And, uh, you know, we we kind of build ourselves up, I think, and there was a huge expectancy amongst the Scottish rugby-watching public um, after the week before's performance in Paris. When you did mention that we scored three tries, and thank you for that. Um, it's my pleasure. Really, you know, we had no answer to the sort of aggressive defence that Wales were employing, particularly amongst the forwards. And uh, as the game wore on and as Wales got more and more points on the board, they just drew strength from that. And, uh, you know, Scotland were just abysmal from first to last. But to be outdone by an aggressive Welsh pack in the first quarter, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what Scotland were meant to be doing to Wales, isn't it? Well, that's what I thought. And, uh, you know, Richie Gray, the Scottish lock who, who was sort of pulled out uh, on the morning of the game, I mean, I think that was a huge loss to yeah. uh, to the Scotland forward plaque because he was absolutely brilliant the, the week before against uh, France. And, uh, you know, he just seemed to galvanise the Scottish forwards into some really positive play. And, uh, you know, they, they, they just seemed lacklustre on Saturday and uh, without leadership, quite honestly. And uh, it was, you know, it's been a while that you could say that about a Scottish pack because, you know, we've had a good back row, we've had a good front row and, uh, you know, for for quite a wee while now and uh, yet there was just nothing there. Now, now Dan Parks plays his club rugby in in Wales. (laughs) It's not so surprising that Wales knew exactly what he was going to offer and and stamped it out. Why didn't they take him off? This is a question that um, has been taxing me since Saturday afternoon. I was doing the commentary alongside Robert Jones on the radio on on Saturday and we we saw um, Rory Jackson warming up with Mike Blair on the pitch during the whole of half-time, and I thought, oh, good, well, they're both going to come on within sort of five minutes of the second half starting, and uh, Mike obviously did come, but we were waiting and waiting and waiting patiently for Rory Jackson as Dan Park's game capitulated, and uh, to no avail, we never saw him, and uh, it was quite alarming, actually, and the only thing I can think of, I'm pretty sure it was Rory Jackson's birthday on Saturday, and the only thing I can think of was Andy Robinson was sparing him the embarrassment <laughs> of ruining his birthday by bringing him onto the field, knowing that not even Rory Jackson could help um, reverse the, the sort of performance that Scotland were showing at Murrayfield. Now, the next question is, I mean, what do you do next? I mean, Sean Lamont has sort of said it's up to the players to take this on the chin. 
I suppose it's up to the players to, to make sure it doesn't happen again, is it? Yeah, I mean, you know, you only need to sort of see Andy Robinson's face in the post-match interviews to know that he was absolutely seething at that performance. And, uh, you know, I think there'll be a credible amount of, of honest, hard uh, talking, as you said, that Sean Lamont has, has already called for. And uh, rugby is a funny game. You have the capacity to turn things around fairly quickly, and particularly when these guys are going to be training quite a lot, I'm sure, between now and uh, a week and Sunday when they face um, Ireland at Murrayfield. So, you know, the good thing is that they've got another chance. I would certainly hope that, that a lot of changes are made. I would like to see Max Evans coming in off the wing and into outside centre. I'd probably like to see Ansborough go out onto the wing because his hands certainly let him down um, in the centre on Saturday. And uh, I'd quite like to see Chris Patterson come into fullback because, you know, you know what you get with Chris Patterson. He's a very, very honest player. He's got an you know, he's just a natural ball player that, that some of the other players don't seem to. And, and he certainly knows how to give and take a pass, which uh, you'd have to question whether all the Scottish team members know how to do that after after Saturday's performance. It's very trendy, though, Gav. You know, England don't have any centres who can pass and they're going for the <laughs> Grand Slam. So don't, don't fret. Just don't go yet, Gav. Don't, don't go yet, Gavin. Just have a press of flannel against your fevered brown. We'll, 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 we'll come back to you. But I, I just want to declare, I mean... I thought Wales played better against England. I completely agree. I, I, I think Warren Gatland said exactly the same thing, didn't he? And I just thought that Wales didn't have to play particularly well to beat Scotland, which I think is even more of an indictment um, from uh, Scotland's perspective. But, I mean, in fact, the only thing I really noticed about Wales was quite how orange James Hook, Lee Byrne and Jamie Roberts have become. I don't know whether they've been taking uh, Gavin Henson's uh, fake tan at all. Oh, absolutely. But extraordinarily orange. But, national uh, colour, national colour now. <laughs> I mean, Wales played well at the start, didn't they? And then thereafter, they didn't need to play well. They defended well, Andy. Yes, superb. I thought that was the most impressive thing about Wales, actually. The defensive performance was absolutely brilliant. Sean Edwards has to take a lot of credit for that, obviously. As you say, I think Scotland, you know, just seemed to lack a lot of drive and focus that Richie Gray probably would have given them up front. It put heaps of, rather a lot on Richie Gray's it plate, does, doesn't it? Yeah. Rich, Richie, you've got to lead the attack <laughs> and you've got to improve the defence. In fact, you've got to do everything, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin, I mean, Scotland have got to pick themselves up now. It's it's Ireland next. It's it, which by tradition is is a is a good open game. Are you up for that? I'm up for anything, Eddie. You know, but I, I think I'm probably too old to don the Scottish jersey again. And and, um, and not that I'm suggesting that you were suggesting that. I think Scotland have just got to go back to a bit more sort of basic type rugby and uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if Rudy Jackson comes in at number 10 for Dan Parks and uh, Might be an make a couple mercy, of changes right? in the three quarters um, just to uh, get some people to, to chase the ball they will remember of course that they, they sort of snuffed out Ireland's last match at Croke Park with a wonderful victory there at the end of last year's Six Nations and uh, you know, Scotland, I think, know that, uh, as well that they're going to have to raise their game because I thought Ireland were magnificent uh, in defeat yesterday against the French. And and yet they improved their performance immeasurably from a, from the week before. So I don't think there are any easy games. And, and as we've seen, you know, Wales coming from, from nowhere, really, and, and suffering this abysmal run of, of defeats. And uh, it didn't stop them performing well enough. I don't think clearly they, they played to their potential, but uh, 
I'm sure Warren Gatlin would have taken that scoreline before the game. I think he has, because <laughs> well, it's a whole lot of load off of his mind as well, and uh, and I think it's it's yeah, solved. It's answered the question whether you you James Hook ten or or wherever. I think it's ten full stop. I isn't agree. It? I agree with you. I think Candy Robinson's in the middle of this four-year contract curse, isn't he? He's just announced another four-year extension, and lo and behold, woof, the carpet just gets swept from under him. So. You know, he will Keep know him hungry, that, make him freelancers. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's right, you know. But uh, if he thought that this is what Scotland were going to be like for the next four years, I question his uh, sameness to have signed the contract. So I, I think he will know that he's got some good guys there to work with. I'm not giving up on Scotland yet, and uh, I've encouraged lots of other people not to do so either. We never thought you would. Just a, just a quick word, England-France, the, uh, the crossroads match of the... Of the Six Nations? It's going to be some game, that. And uh, I think the fact that it's it's at Twickenham is, is certainly going to be to England's advantage. I think, uh, you know, they're looking very, very strong. They're obviously going to go into the game with huge confidence. And, uh, you know, I don't mind Chris Aston um, if, he, if he's going to go up there and, and score these tries and we show the old uh, arm in the air on his way to scoring. That's, that's fine. And, and I'm sure that every supporter that's cheering on England in the next game would, would be happy to see him do that again. Um, when he drops the ball prior to scoring a try, <laughs> that's when you won't see him doing it anymore. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think celebrations are for after tries are scored, not before them. Well, may a celebration return to your life, Gavin. In the meantime, lie down, breathe deeply, <laughs> think of better days for Scotland. Cheers, Gavin. Thank you very much indeed. All the best. Okay, Andy, Claire, we now come to, uh, you know, we're two rounds down, there is still a lot to come. Uh, any, any trends set in stone? I don't think England are going to win the Grand Slam. No. I think they're going to lose to France, but I think they'll beat Ireland. Um, so I don't think anyone's going to win a Grand Slam this year. Yeah. I just think there are too many uh, ponderables on for all of the teams. Who's going to beat France then? Pause. <laughs> Collective pause. But you see, I think France will beat themselves against somebody and not necessarily. Well, they've only got so. Italy, they've got Wales in Paris. See, but that's just it. I think Wales will be, might well beat France. Oh, that could mean the championship for Wales then. If they go unbeaten now, beat Ireland at home, beat Italy away. I knew there was a little bit of Welsh in you, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did live there for a while, so um, possibly. <laughs> Andy, can you be quite so alarmingly outrageous? I think England will beat France. I do. I think France has got such severe defensive difficulties at the moment, um, and England are in such hot form that I think they, they, they will win. Ireland might be a harder game, actually, and that might be the one where they trip up for my money. We don't know, do we? Which is... Part of the glory of the Six Nations. It's all yet to come. Well, on that note, I think we'll knock it on the head. Thank you very much to Andy Bull, to Claire Tolley, and to Jordan Murphy, and to Gavin Hastings. I'm Eddie Butler, and our producer is Tim Mabey. Goodbye for now. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Visit our special website to win tickets for you and your mates, plus watch player videos and join in live web chats at guardian.co.uk slash guinness-rugby-2011. Get your mates together for a Guinness this RBS Six Nations.